Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. I'm Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I want to say hello, especially to our listeners on uh, Spotify and Anchor FM and some of the other platforms that we broadcast under uh, here at Sunshine USA. Um, Right now we're doing a series of... Bible studies through the Gospels as we begin our study through the New Testament, just like we did our study through the Old Testament. Um, Back several weeks ago, we actually completed our study of the Old Testament. It was basically a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of the Old Testament. took us, I think, more than two years to do that. Now we're going through the New Testament, starting with the Gospels. Now, the last time I did this particular series, I took the Gospels one Gospel at a time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But in that, you have a lot of repetition, and you have a lot of redundancy. And so we're trying to avoid all that this time by doing a parallel study of the Gospels. Uh, This will actually take us through the Gospels a little bit faster, and it will avoid a lot of overlapping, like we did last time. Well, today we come to the first recorded miracle of Jesus, and that is the marriage feast of Cana. Now, in the last broadcast, you will remember that we talked about Jesus calling his first disciples. And all total, Jesus called about 12 disciples, And you might say this became the first small group because Jesus decided it was best to take these 12, teach them everything he knows, and then after the resurrection, they would go on to become pillars in the church. Now, for 11 of the 12, that certainly happened. Of course, one disciple Judas, he went out and hung himself. He committed suicide. But the other 11 did great things for God, especially following the resurrection. And so they formed the first small group. And we find today that Jesus and his disciples were invited to a marriage feast over in Cana. And this becomes the setting of the first miracle performed by Jesus. Now we read here in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Now, here at the wedding feast of Cana, we have a problem that arises. This problem is brought to the attention of Jesus by none other than his own mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She tells Jesus they have no wine. Now, bearing in mind Jesus, like his mother Mary, they were uh, guests at this particular wedding. 
And basically, it wouldn't have been Jesus' problem to solve. Whoever was putting on the host, whoever was serving as the host of this party, that would have been their problem. So why does Mary go to her son, Jesus, and tell Jesus that they're out of wine? I think it might be because she knew that Jesus maybe had the ability to do something about this problem, and indeed, of course, he did. Now, let me say at the outset of this particular study, and I hope that you'll read all 11 verses, the first 11 verses of John chapter 2, but we're going to see that Jesus never performs a miracle just for the sake of performing a miracle. Jesus had no interest in putting on a show or drawing attention to himself. The only reason that Jesus performs this particular miracle at Cana is the fact that there was a need and he knew that he had the ability to meet that particular need. And of course, as you read these 11 verses, you'll find that what Jesus did, he took common everyday water and he turned it into wine. Now, you know, at this point, some theologians want to get into a lively discussion or a lively debate. They want to debate whether or not this was wine containing alcohol or whether this was grape juice. Now, of course, being a Baptist, I've always been brought up to believe this was grape juice, not wine. That's why in Baptist churches, uh, for the most part, at least as far as I know, uh, they don't serve real wine at communion in Baptist churches. It's grape juice. Now, like I say, some theologians at this point, they want to get into this lively discussion over whether this was wine containing alcohol or whether it was um, grape juice. Now, back in my day when I was in seminary, the common belief was this was more like grape juice instead of wine. And the reason for that was because this was made instantly. And if you know anything about the wine industry, it takes time for wine to ferment. <laughs> it's a time-consuming process. But this was an instant thing. And therefore, they say there was no time for this wine to ferment. Therefore, it contained no alcohol. Therefore, it was like grape juice. Now, like I say, in this Bible study session today, I'm not going to get into a discussion over whether this was wine or grape juice. The point is, there was a need, and Jesus met that need. He turns water into wine. And now, all of a sudden... There's plenty of wine. Problem solved. And it turns out that the guests are impressed as well. Because they realize that what they're drinking here is even better than the wine they started out with. Now back in those days, we are told it was customary, especially if you had a host that was putting on a big party with maybe a hundred or more guests, he would start out by serving the best wine he had. 
And of course, uh, the guests would drink it, enjoy it. They would get drunk. And then after their stone half out of their mind, he would then, if they ran out, serve lesser quality stuff. But of course, the people wouldn't claim, uh, people wouldn't complain because they were too drunk to know the difference. But in this case, the guests couldn't help but notice that what they started out with was not nearly as good as what they have now. Now, I think in the process of this miracle, Jesus is trying to convey a very important message to the guests there at Cana, and ultimately to us. As great as the Old Testament prophets were, as great as the Law of Moses was, and it all had a purpose, we now have Jesus, and of course, what Jesus offers is so much better. Here lately on one of the other platforms that we use on Sunshine USA, we're doing a series of Bible studies from the book of Hebrews. And of course, Hebrews is a book that I believe was written by Paul. Now, once again, I'm not going to get into a theological debate over whether Paul wrote Hebrews. But here, Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, gets into an argument trying to persuade the audience, who was mostly Jewish, that what Jesus had to offer was so much better than what they had under the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, they had all these offerings and sacrifices and rituals, and they even had a Day of Atonement, but it had to be done all over again every year. You see, what atonement did not provide for was a permanent forgiveness of sin. But then, of course, Jesus comes along, and he dies on the cross for your sins and mine. And then he rises from the grave three days later, and then 40 days later he ascends up into heaven to prepare for us a place. Boy, I tell you, I'm looking forward to that. I tell you, this old body that I have, it gets older every day. And it seems like it becomes more and more limited every day, more and more broken down every day. But one of these days, the Bible says I'm going to have a brand new body, and I'm going to move into my brand new mansion. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that day with great amounts of anticipation. And this was all made possible by what Jesus did on the cross. You see, Jesus became that once-for-all sacrifice. Jesus died on that cross one time for the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. I got saved, for example, back in November 1969, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I remember it just like it was yesterday. And that was a great and wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, I, I really enjoyed that. But you see, I only had to get saved one time. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't sinned anymore since I got saved. I certainly have. 
Because even though I got saved, you know, uh, God, he didn't eradicate our old sin nature. You and I as Christians today, we have to do battle against the old sin nature. We absolutely do. We have to battle this old sinful nature that we have. We have to. There's no way we can get around it. We have to do battle, like I say, with this old sin nature. That's why you and I have to struggle to be the Christians that we know that God wants us to be. It's because we have to do battle with that old sin nature. We have to do battle every day with Satan. Um, just a few broadcasts ago, we talked about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And you better believe if Jesus faced temptation by Satan, you and I are even more likely to face temptation from Satan. And in fact, the more we try to do for God, the more you and I try to do for God, the more we're going to face temptation from Satan. Amen. And part of the problem there is our sin nature has not been eradicated. But we have the forgiveness of God. If we've ever been saved, we have the forgiveness of God. We never have to worry about losing our salvation. Now, sometimes we backslide and do things we shouldn't be doing. But God saved us one time for a lifetime. We don't have to worry about a continuous stream of animal sacrifices and participating in all kinds of rituals because Christ gave us a once and for all salvation by dying for us on the cross. So clearly what Christ did for us on the cross is far superior to what they had in the Old Testament. Now, one of the questions that Paul dealt with was, what about the law? Well, Paul indicated the law does have value. And by the way, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. That's a very interesting point to make. Jesus did not come to do away with the law. In fact, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He did not come to do, to do away with the law. Not at all. But you see, in the Old Testament days, what they did, they had to keep doing over and over and over again. But now we don't have to worry about doing that. Because once we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, his blood is applied to our account, and all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. That's a marvelous thing to realize that our sins have been forgiven. I don't care how many sins you've committed. I don't care how bad a life you lived before you got saved. Once you got saved, all of your sins have been forgiven. 
And now the Bible says God's law is written on our hearts. I, I think I pointed this out a couple of broadcasts ago. And this is something far superior to what they had in the Old Testament times. And so that's another one of the messages that Jesus was trying to get out here at the marriage feast of Cana. Now, like I say, uh, Jesus was not in the business of performing miracles just for the sake of performing miracles. He wasn't trying to put on a show. Not too long ago, someone asked me, do I believe in divine healing? I said, yes, I absolutely do. I have a problem, though, with certain so-called divine healers. Because to me, there's only one divine healer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, another thing I'll say on the subject of healing, this is something else to think about. If Jesus healed everybody every time, we'd never make it to heaven. Because we keep on getting healed and we would keep on living. Because, you know, everyone that dies, most people die of something. Even if they die of so-called natural causes, they die of something. Some vital organ has quit functioning. Or maybe some disease like cancer has stricken their body. And so if Jesus healed us every single time, we'd never make it to heaven. So because of that, I thank God for the fact that sometimes when we ask God to heal us, he says no. It might be his time to take us on to heaven. God might say to us, you know, you've done everything on earth. I put you on earth to do. Now I'm calling you home to heaven. Now, another reason God doesn't always heal us is because he wants us to feel that sense of dependency on him. And also, sometimes God doesn't heal us because in our illness or in our weakness, in our disability, God is accomplishing a purpose. One of the examples I typically use at this point is the example is the example of John, John um, 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 <laughs> her name well there was this famous teenager she died I mean she didn't die she dived into the water and she had a, a swimming accident became paralyzed from the neck down oh Johnny Erickson Tata that's the person I'm thinking about see my mind is already deteriorating. <laughs> That's why I'm glad one of these days I'm getting a new body. But Johnny Erickson Tata had that swimming accident as a teenager. And you can imagine that as a Christian, she constantly was asking herself, God, why? Why me? Why did you allow this to happen to me? God, why don't you heal me? But you see, with that disability, God has used Johnny Erickson Tata to engage in a very effective ministry all across America. 
She has become a leading spokesman for those of us who are disabled. When I go to church, for example, they have this incline or ramp that I can use to push me and my walker up the ramp and into the church. And it's because of the influence of ministries like the one Johnny Erickson Tata has that many churches have started doing more and more to accommodate the disabled. So God has given her quite a ministry, and no doubt many have come to Christ as a result of the ministry of Johnny Erickson Tata. And that's a wonderful thing. But now that ministry might never, might not have ever happened had God decided to heal her. Sometimes God has a divine purpose for not healing us. And we have to clearly understand that. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of our study here about the marriage feast of Cana. Now this is simply... Uh, the first of many miracles that Jesus would perform in the course of his ministry. Like I say, it is the first of many several miracles. And like I say, each time Jesus performed a miracle, there was a purpose behind that miracle. The Bible says here that because of this miracle, many of his first disciples believed they began to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Now that doesn't mean that they all of a sudden understood everything. But they understood the fact that there was something different about Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have any Bible study questions or if you have any prayer requests, the best way to let me know is by email. I have two different email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And I hope that you will contact me in the event that you have a Bible study question or a prayer request. And if you have a prayer request and you give me permission, I'll be glad to share that prayer request with my unseen, unnumbered radio audience. I'm sure you will find it very comforting to know that Christians all over America and all throughout the world are praying over the prayer request that you have. Now, those of you that want to contact me by snail mail, my snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, when you contact me, if you feel led of the Lord to deposit a few dollars to help with the work that we're doing here at Sunshine USA, that would be greatly appreciated. I would love for 2022 to be a year of expansion for us here at Sunshine USA. And we try to use very wisely the money that comes in. For example, I don't receive a salary for doing this program. In fact, I don't receive a salary at all from Sunshine USA. Everything I do for the Sunshine USA ministry is done free of charge. I do it as a volunteer.
even though I'm the founder of this ministry. I do it because I love God. And I do it because I love you very, very much. And uh, right now we're in the process of forming a board of directors here at Sunshine USA. I'm asking for people to serve on this board of directors that are born-again Christians, that are living spirit-filled lives, and you have a desire to help lead this ministry. Uh, I would like very much to see this ministry continue long after the Lord calls me home if the Lord tarries. And one of the best ways to do that is to legally incorporate this ministry with the board of directors and be in prayer that God will lead me to the right people, that he would have serve on this board of directors. I would appreciate that very much. Well, our time has come and gone for this particular broadcast. I hope that you will pray for Sunshine USA and share with other people how they, too, can tune in. Until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.